Welcome to Michael Cast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Maura. On this week's episode, we have so much going on. We are going to discuss the new single part Cursed Child with one of our friends who saw it in San Francisco. And then we're going to discuss new footage in another new trailer for The Secrets of Dumbledore. And then finally, we'll read your observations about the trailer and talk about the posters and the script book for Secrets of Dumbledore, which will not be coming out at the same time as the film does, like the first two did. And I actually have a theory about that, but we'll get to that towards the end of this week's episode. I mentioned a friend is joining us today. Pamela from a podcast that Laura and I co-host, Millennial. Hi, Pamela. Welcome back to MuggleCast. Thanks for having me. I say welcome back because you were on MuggleCast a while ago, right? Yeah, but it's probably been years. It's been years. A very mm-hmm. long time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so it's nice to have you on. And you actually saw Chris Child in San Francisco. I did. I did. I saw it about two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. They just reopened out there due to some COVID issues. Obviously, the whole country's been grappling with that, and so has the world. So it was a huge celebration for them, and I'm sure everybody involved with that is really excited that they're up and running again. Yeah, so Cursed Child San Francisco actually opened in December 2019 in the two-part format. And then, of course, they closed a few months later once COVID started spreading two years ago this month, actually. And... So they were closed for what? Probably a good two years, close to two years. And in that time, they and Broadway decided to combine the two parts into one. You had read the script book when it came out in 2016. Correct. You had read the script book again before seeing the new and improved Cursed Child. But you haven't seen the two-part Cursed Child play, the OG No, I haven't. And I think a lot of people will probably relate to this. It's so hard to schedule... A time to see two full plays because Broadway plays are, you know, two hours and 30 minutes with an intermission sometimes. And just the way that they were splitting this up, it was just so hard to get out there. And then with COVID and stuff, I never got around to seeing the two parter. So this was my first time watching it. And it was definitely an interesting experience going in and seeing it just in one part, which is still very long, by the way. It's about three and a half hours with an intermission. So, wow. Oof. So how was it? Did you like it? I did. I think that what everybody has said is true. Um, Even if you didn't enjoy the script in and of itself, it's an entirely different experience getting to see it on the play and the way that the story was intended to be told. The special effects are fantastic. It's an incredibly immersive experience. And I really had a good time despite, you know, my issues with some of the plot points. So like I said, you read the script book, so you know the story pretty well. What were some of the biggest changes that you noticed? So uh, probably the biggest changes that they pulled out in terms of what was in the script was a lot of these dream sequences. I don't know if you all remember those, like throughout the play, Harry's having these dreams of his past, and then they all kind of end with Voldemort hissing out his name, and he wakes up and you know, a sweaty mess. Uh, so they pulled that out. And then they also pulled out what is funnily one of my favorite parts from the actual book, which is right at the end when Hagrid comes in to pick up Harry from Godric's Hollow. I just thought his little monologue is very sweet. And I was really surprised oh. that they pulled that out because Hagrid is such a beloved character. And so you would think that they would have kept that in. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. So when this single part show reopened in New York or opened in New York a few months ago, 
One cursed child, seemingly super fan, tweeted that the play does lean in more to Albus and Scorpius having feelings for one another. So my big question is, did you sense that in the San Francisco one? By the way, San Francisco, like the gay capital of the world. So go ahead. Yeah, How gay yeah, was it? Yeah, I was going to say the, um, <laughs> the Scorbus love was alive and well in my audience, oh. which was packed with um, Harry Potter fans. I think that just the the sheer nature of their opening night festivities was a huge draw to to people. So it was really fun to see it in that atmosphere as well. But there was a lot of cooing. There's a lot of ooing and aahing and a lot of gasping whenever there was a particularly sweet moment between Albus and Scorpius, which was really nice because anybody that's read even the script will tell you that the subtext is very strong between those two characters. Um, but I think that what was really particularly interesting is that they changed a line at the end, which really kind of leaves the possibility of romance much more open-ended than it was in the script. So yes. it's a big win for the Scorpus shippers for sure. Yes. Victory for us. Yes. What was the line? We already <laughs> said it at one point, but it sounds like you remember. Oh, okay, it. that's great. I just thought, like over here, maybe I shouldn't spoil it. I don't know. People are weird about. <laughs> no, spoilers. we already did. <laughs> okay, yeah. So at the end of the script, um, there's this whole moment where Scorpio says that he asks Rose, just um, Hermione and Ron's daughter, out on a date, and in the new one part play, he just asks her to be his friend. Oh. oh, and it's very specific that he says, Albus says, I can't believe you asked Rose if she would be your friend. Yeah. And there were some other lines, I think. Yeah, that, yeah. That this fan, I don't know if you remember them off the top of your there head, but part, we can maybe. Um, where Albus is talking to Harry and he says that Scorpius is the most important person in his life and he might always be the most important person in his life. So I don't know if that was in the script or not, but it definitely got a huge reaction out of the audience for sure. <laughs> that would have been me. I've been like, Woo! you would have been in the right place, honestly. I don't know if it's because we love the gays out here in San Francisco or if it's because everybody has decided that they're going to ship these two characters. But yeah, it was a really big reaction from the crowd. Andrew, that that's disrespectful Broadway etiquette. You can't yell out in the middle of a scene. I'm just so excited. Let me back in, please. I'll celebrate in the Castro after. I'll keep my mouth shut until then. Pamela, I have a question about yes. the new one act okay. or the, uh, the the one day version of uh, Cursed Child. Yeah, what do we call it now? Uh, I don't know what to call it. New and improved? <laughs> I guess so. Single show? The eighth Harry Potter story part B. Um, <laughs> the mini the, eighth Harry Potter story. We'll, we'll workshop it. The eighth story again. Again, um, how was the Delphi Diggory reveal? And did they? I I heard that they altered a lot of like the almost Diggory stuff. So like, there's no wizard's retirement home and that kind of thing. Like, right. So is there still almost Diggory kind of guilt tripping Harry over Cedric's death? Does that like still happen, or is it like an entirely different setup? We still get that scene in the Potter house where he comes in and Albus is eavesdropping and on the conversation with Amos and Harry, and that's where he meets Delphi. Um, we do go to the nursing home, but um, Amos has been completely like removed from that scene. And it's literally just the trio. And I, I believe that um, uh, Draco's there too. And they're looking at, huh. you know, what the messages that she had left on the walls and stuff like that. Okay. Interesting. I had a question too for you, Pam, and it, this may be a little difficult to answer, but do you feel like any of the, like the actual production suffered as a result of it? Meaning, do you think maybe that 
there were things that you read about that didn't show up. Um, just because I'm thinking of how they really do immerse the audience into this play. The audience is a big part of it, just because it doesn't just happen on the stage. It kind of happens all around you. And I'm wondering if that's something that they kept in in sort of this one part Yeah. Play. Yeah. Okay. So there still are um, some effects that happen in the audience. They obviously, I they were very kind to invite me to go so that I could come on and tell you guys about what um, I noticed that had been changed. So they gave me some very good seats. And I was telling somebody that I was sitting next to that I feel like they sat me in the action zone because there's a part at the end where a character comes into the audience and <laughs> me and this character made eye contact and I was a little scared. because it was oh. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Was this Umbridge? No, Voldemort. Did you get his number? No, no. It was like, <laughs> I was a little scared, honestly, which is so funny because you know it's not real. It's kind of creepy. It, it is, is really creepy. creepy. Like the makeup is great. You should have tripped him. <laughs> you you would have taken down Voldemort. Oh my <laughs> God. I would have been the girl who lived. <laughs> a girl who lived and got kicked out of Cursed Child. No, anyway, the girl who tripped. Like, there's still a lot of stuff that the girl who tripped. They, I think that, you know, honestly, the part that I thought was a little bit disorienting, and maybe all of you who have seen the two-parter can speak to this, I just felt like the line delivery was very quick. It would, like, give the Gilmore Girls a run for its money with wow. how fast the line delivery was. The whole was. show? Yes. Whole show. At first, I thought it huh. was a choice to differentiate the younger characters from the older characters, and then it quickly became apparent that they were just all speaking very fast. And it definitely feels like they did that in a, in um, in the hopes that they could squeeze in as much story as possible. And so that I could see being a tiny bit disorienting, especially if anybody is not good with accents, because obviously everybody keeps the English accent throughout. So, oh. yeah, I could see how. And then also just like tiny little details. If you're not super familiar with the books and stuff like that, you might miss some nods here and there to certain characters or certain jokes mm. and things like that. Because but, they're going so fast. Because they're going yeah. so fast. Interesting. Yeah. I can't. I don't know. Micah, Eric, do you remember it moving super quick dialogue wise? It's hard for me to remember. No, I don't remember I, like noticing an issue. That's definitely a weak spot for me is understanding things when they're going really fast. Maybe if we get if we talk really, 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 really fast. We'll get it under the uh, mandated time stamp that we now need to be doing this play under. And also they won't realize the plot holes if we talk really, 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 really fast. So, yeah, I don't remember it moving very quickly. Um, I also think we had the benefit of having the original cast. So I'm not sure if that played into it as well. That's true. So now out of curiosity, remind me, where is the new one part play currently in production obviously here in the u.s yeah north america so toronto san francisco new york okay. and i think that's it for now there might be one or two so you can still go to london th- and see it in two parts mm. yeah london is still two yeah i find it a little curious then speaking of the very fast dialogue with accents that the debut would happen in north america where people might well, struggle with right the rapid uh speaking combined with different accents i think ticket sale wise the numbers are working over in england whereas they weren't Mm. working on broadway and if they're not going to work on broadway it's definitely not going to work anywhere else in america yeah you know it looks like australia might be a single part as well i'm just going through the sites right now 
So your country's show may vary. Mm. I mean, to be honest, I have to say, I still have not seen Cursed Child. I just haven't been in the right place at the right time to do it. But I feel like I'm potentially more interested to see it now that it's been condensed. Um, because I remember when the script book did come out, I was reading it like, what the heck is going on here? Um, and sort of the open-ended storytelling they're doing with regard to um, Albus and Scorpius's relationship feels more authentic and, and feels maybe more like the story that was trying to come out originally, like not to put too fine a point on it. Um, but, you know, sometimes I think anytime you're talking to creative people, a theme that you hear is that a character kind of jumps off the page and wants to do a certain thing. And writers can often be guided by the characters that they're writing. And it makes me wonder if, as they were writing this originally, if it became very clear that there was this connection between these two characters and they weren't quite sure what to do with it. But now there's been this correction made to leave open the possibility of a romantic relationship between them instead of no homoing it at the very end of the show. It de- definitely feels like they were a little scared to go there mm-hmm. in the book, which is why they tacked on that bit about him asking Rose out at the end. Um, but I think you're right. I could definitely see them having changed it for at least this one part version simply because of the fan reaction. Um, yeah, it's, so, it's always yeah. been surprising, though, too, that they would shy away from it, given that one of the most notable characters in the Harry right. Potter series yeah. is gay. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Never really figured that one out. I'm seeing that Australia in Melbourne is transitioning to the single part show actually in May. So you have to see it, the two part version in Australia, if you want, before 27 March. Uh, I can't speak to the other shows right now. That's a lot of clicking around. I do want to reiterate, though, like if you're worried about missing much, a lot of what they cut that was mostly no- notable, which is what I said, these dream sequences. Is the trolley lady there? She is there. Oh. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about that in the book, but I thought it was really cool on stage. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like they were very smart in cutting, you know, these dream sequences because it's all stuff that we know, you know, like we know yeah. that Harry mm-hmm. was abused and sent to the cupboard and that it must have not been great for him in there so we don't really need to see it and that's that's also a good point because so many people probably most people who are going to see this play are familiar with the story and as we've brought up on the show before this play is all fan service it's all for people who have seen it anyway so why rehash the stuff that we already know and instead make a leaner meaner play yeah so I would well, like to see the single parts show, especially since they lean into the to Scorbis more. Come on out so. to San Francisco. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing all that, Pam. We appreciate it. Glad you had a good time. If you want to grab tickets, check out harrypottertheplay.com. And yeah, we don't really bring this up on MuggleCast, but Laura, Pam, and I, we host a weekly podcast called Millennial. It's at millennialshow.com. You can find it wherever you listen to MuggleCast. And we're talking about news and politics and pop culture. It is for... Young adults and older. It's not for kids. Um, 
it is left leaning, uh, but we're having a lot of fun. We're talking about the millennial experience every week. And yeah, just three lifelong friends talking about everything going on in the world and in our pop culture worlds and our personal lives, too. So it's been a lot of fun. And again, the show is called Millennial. New episodes every Wednesday. And Pam's going to hang around because we're going to talk about the trailer uh, this other trailer that came out with a lot of new footage, a surprising amount of new footage. And then we have some feedback from listeners about the trailers so far and a couple of crackpot theories as well. So there's a lot to get to today. So we weren't expecting this, but we got another trailer for Fantastic Beast Secrets of Dumbledore. This is a Japanese trailer. It was actually in English still, by the way. Japanese narrator, but all the clips were still in English, so that was good for us, at least. And like we did last week, we're just going to go timestamp by timestamp through this trailer. There's not as much to talk about. There were new scenes, but not as much to talk about because we already spoke about a lot of it. So first of all, who last week was afraid that Theseus was going to die in Secrets of Dumbledore? Me. Eric? Definitely. And Micah? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I thought he was going to die. Was I afraid? Of him dying, like Laura, <laughs> stone cold. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, did you have a bad day? What happened? No, it's. So, not, I just don't feel like I've got. I don't feel like I've gotten enough of Theseus as a character to be invested. That's fair. That's fair. That is fair. Yeah. Well, I do think Theseus lives, and this trailer has confirmed it. The reason I think this is because at the seven seven second mark in this new trailer, Theseus and Newt clearly just got out of some sort of tussle. They're out of breath, it looks like. They just transported from somewhere, and they're holding hands. And Theseus is actually tieless. So we were wondering, oh my gosh, the Niffler has his tie. Why? Well, here's a scene where he's alive and he's not wearing his tie. So I guess it just got lost and he lived. Yeah, there's also a a scene a little bit later on in this trailer. It's right around 59 seconds to a minute in where you see the manticore's tail rubbing Newt's neck and Theseus is hanging upside down right in front of him. So I think what we see at the seven second mark is what happens after this encounter with the manticore a little bit later on in the trailer. Well, yeah, and it looks like Theseus has something wrapped around his waist. It looks like one of those kitty inner tubes that you wear to go swimming, but it's probably a piece of the beast of the manticore. That's what what I'm thinking. It's like it's claw and they, you know, cut it off or something. Yeah, Yeah. they chopped it. It got splinched. Well, and if you remember in the trailer that we got, there's a scene of Theseus falling wrapped in the manticore's tail. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there you go. So at the 12 second mark, there's an extended, dare I say, version of the scene where Professor McGonagall walks up to (laughs) the hogshead, I guess, and Albus says, tell me, what is it? But in this version, he says Professor McGonagall before, tell me, what is it? And I thought that was really funny because that was a total fan service, total... Plea to Harry Potter fans to come see this movie. I was I was imagining after I saw this clip, Dumbledore going, Hello there, Professor McGonagall, as he turns to the camera and it's like a sitcom, the audience <laughs> applauds. I said this on last week's episode, though. You I did. said that I felt like they needed it in the trailer because 
with the exception of Laura, I, I don't know that many people knew who that was. But yeah. it's not relevant. So who cares? That's my point. You know, I noticed that this trailer overall, in addition to that, you know, very clear name dropping, the music that it was using for the trailer was all from the earlier Harry Potter movies, mm-hmm. like the most iconic, um, you know, soundtracks that you would recognize as being from Harry Potter. And that combined with Professor McGonagall makes me think that because it was a trailer intended for an international audience and that it has, you know, sort of their own announcer because of the fact that, you know, the actual content of the trailer itself remains in English. I wonder if all of that was in an attempt to make it very clear to people who may not be English speakers who would pick up on like, oh, I know that music. Oh, I know Professor McGonagall um, because right. I'm a big Harry Potter Harry Potter fan and I know the names. Um, I wonder if that's what the intent was there. Well, and to your point at the 17 second mark, look at that. It's the portrait of Ariana Dumbledore, and Dumbledore is staring at it. Uh, This isn't too big a surprise. I think a month or two ago, I said if you enhanced one particular moment from the trailer, you can see that portrait that we also saw in the Deathly Hallows films um, in the background. And I don't know. I don't know if there's anything to discuss here. We kind of knew it was this film would be going in this direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think that that's one of the secrets, you know, the relationship between Albus, especially and his brother. Now that we know that Aberforth's been cast and we started seeing him in the trailers, it does make sense that they would address the Ariana thing um, because of the fact that the, their brother's relationship is strained as a result of the death of their sister. Mm. Which was or wasn't Grindelwald and Albus's fault. It seems interesting to me that Dumbledore is conducting a lot of his business at the hogshead because I don't know, I guess in my head, it just kind of felt like they were estranged ever since Ariana died, but it seems like they're still clearly in contact and he's clearly involved in this. So it's like now that timeline in my head is a little bit skewed because it, it kind of makes you wonder if, if maybe, you know, he joined up because it's a cause near and dear to his heart, given that his sister died when there was a little scuffle between him and Grindelwald. So then, like, when did they stop speaking? And is that the reason why he's okay with Dumbledore being like, I'm just going to use this as my HQ for a bit? I, I think that's a great point. And it does talk to something that will need to be addressed uh, about their relationship, because you do get the impression that they haven't spoken in so many years. But he interviewed Trelawney at the Hogshead and like he generally conducts Order of the that's Phoenix true. stuff there later in the books. So it's like he is using it. But how much? I think the difference is he's not headmaster yet. Right. So he's still teaching transfiguration or defense against mm-hmm. the dark arts, depending on who you ask uh, <laughs> at the school. He doesn't have like the headmaster's office to be doing this kind of stuff in. And so, I, you know, maybe his office at the uh, at Hogwarts is being watched or at risk of being overheard or something. And that's why he seeks out the hogshead to do his business. It's like his own makeshift little mini mansion of uh, planning when he doesn't yet run Hogwarts. I wonder too, if we're going to learn more about why their relationship is so estranged in this next movie, maybe in future movies, what else happens that kind of pulls these brothers apart from each other? Could it be Dumbledore's inability to actually kill Grindelwald for 
what happened to Ariana and, you know, just deciding to quote unquote, defeat him instead. Um, but Eric, your points are valid too, in that they still seem to have some kind of relationship in the future if he's using the hogshead as a place for order business. It's weird because at a certain point, it becomes advantageous for Dumbledore to spread this idea that Aberforth is simple. Um, you know, he's Dumbledore is the one going around telling everybody about his brother's love of goats and Rita Skeeter's book on Aberforth too seems to just suggest that he is gruff and and kind of buried under the shadow of how brilliant his brother is. But I think this movie is going to show us, if anything, that Aberforth is every bit as suave and charming as as his brother. I think what we've seen from the trailer is that Aberforth is mm. quite good at doing what he's doing. So it's like at a certain point, Aberforth himself becomes a secret of Dumbledore's. Um, the fact that he can rely on his brother so good for furthering his cause. Now we've just have like the ninth and 10th examples of that happening. Yeah. So at the 51 second mark, Newt says to save our world, each of us has a role to play as he's looking at Theseus, Laley, Jacob, Yusuf, and Bunty. So <laughs> I think we're going to need a whole episode dedicated to predicting what exactly each character's role is in this movie. <laughs> Cause I, the big question marks are on Bunty and Jacob. To a lesser extent, Theseus, Laley, Yusuf. I think, you know, we might be able to figure those out. But Bunty and Jacob, anyone's guess what their roles <laughs> no, but- are. But in fairness, right, they do seem to pair up. So it's not as if each of them are going on their own individual journey from what we've seen in the trailer. You have Theseus with Lely, you have Jacob with Dumbledore, maybe Yusuf and Bunty pair up and Newt is on his own. I, I don't know, but <laughs> I don't think those pairs are exactly correct. Like we, we were just I talking- mean, that's what we see in the trailer. But how about the new Theseus scene that we were just talking about? Or that could be at the beginning. Maybe they're both like yeah. on the way to yeah. report. Jacob and Dumbledore? I like th- I think they get together towards the end, but I mean there's yeah, the scene in the room the... of requirement yeah. where Dumbledore's like Mr. Kowalski and he takes his hand and they But they're all together. Apparate yeah. or port key together or something like that. Yeah. We can still do an episode. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> No, but what is Jacob's role? What is Bunty's role? Those are the big yeah. questions. Court in the Discord is saying it's Ocean's Eleven, Fantastic Beast style. I would love a super cut of that, but with Fantastic yep. Beast footage. <laughs> well, at the 43 second mark, it appears Bunty's job is to hide behind the bar. Um, oh, yeah. She's pe- peeking out while Theseus is reading the paper. Maybe she's... I don't know, trying to steal his paper. It does seem like we do get some uh, Newt and Dumbledore time, though, because, uh, you know, in a scene that I don't think was in the American trailer, around 35 seconds, there's a conversation between Newt and Dumbledore, and Dumbledore just basically says, you know, we really need to stop this thing from happening. Um, But I look forward to seeing that because the second movie kind of clued us in that Newt is going to be seeking some answers from Dumbledore, at least, but a little bit more accountability moving forward. Um, So I hope that, you know, Albus doesn't just give all his attention to Jacob. I want him to still address Newt's concerns. Yeah, I'm seeing a little bit of this in the Discord, but I also feel it myself, just the general concern that even though this does feel like a more straightforward story that we're 
getting ready for, it still feels like a lot of characters. And even if they're paired up doing things together, that's a lot of separate motivations and missions. And given what happened in Crimes of Grindelwald, I think fans have a right to be concerned about that. Believe in Clovis. Believe. (laughs) He can do it. That's the mantra, the daily thing. The one thing I I guess you could say to that, though, is there's only one new character, right? All of the other characters are from the crimes of Grindelwald or before. So we know some of them, um, but I'm big on this whole pairing thing. We see it with Eulalie and Jacob when she goes to visit him at the bakery. We actually got a little bit more of that in this trailer um, outside of the bakery. She like changes his clothes with the wave of the wand and then they apparate to the train. Um, so, so I think we're going to be seeing a lot of pairings in this film. I think it is worth bringing up, though, that these really aren't the same pairs that we started this series off with. You know, this is not the core four, so 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 to speak. Um, and yes, you know, now we know Yusuf from the previous film. Now we know some of these other characters like Theseus from the last movie. But the series as a whole has like greatly strayed um, from sort of the original promise. So it, it can't help but, I guess, like inherently feel disjointed. They have to work a lot harder to convince us that this is not just like you know it's too many characters because where where is tina although this trailer does show some tina 58 seconds in the suitcase opens up and whose new suitcase opens up and whose smiling face is that tina looking up at newt (laughs) because you know animated photo so nothing still contemporary with tina necessarily right technically it's a new right. photo right because he only had the cutout from the newspaper in oh. crimes of grindelwald so also yeah. her hairstyle is different that's that's yeah. true how they're yeah. communicating the passage of time in this movie everyone has different hair what is this goblet of fire <laughs> yeah <laughs> only for credence it's their pandemic hair right <laughs> I don't know. Her hair looks pretty great. It does. Picture. It does. She no longer looks like my aunt. I think I'm going to start liking (laughs) Tina again. The aunt that I'm estranged from. And then at 117, we do get some new, very interesting dialogue from Dumbledore. I couldn't make it out. I listened 10 (laughs) times. I just had no clue what he was saying. I posted this in our doc. I said, help. And Micah did a great job of figuring out what he said. Dumbledore is saying to Newt, I drew my wands, which was even more foolish. So presumably he's talking about the battle that killed the duel that killed Ariana. Mm. So the question that I had now is this how we're going to get the backstory on Ariana as opposed Instead to of flashback. Like a traditional, yeah, yeah, man, I would be really just dis- they have to do a flashback at some point. They have to. I sort of disagree. But I think that if it's Dumbledore telling Newt, it's open to Dumbledore's version of events, right? So Dumbledore can still have a shot at manipulating Newt by telling him the story himself versus if we saw it in a flashback. But as I've been saying recently, I don't trust this ability, the series ability to handle flashbacks. So maybe this will be the next best thing. But if that's the case, would it be safe to assume that perhaps they already had the blood packed in place and that's why it was foolish to draw the wand? Oh, maybe. That's a good point. And maybe oh. that's why. Right, because he can't the move against curse bounce. That would be so tragic if that's how he 
found out that he couldn't. And so now he's trying to avoid catastrophe because they're not sure if they can break it. It would certainly help explain and I think make it make this whole blood pack thing more acceptable to fans. Mm-hmm. If that's kind of what caused Ariana to die directly. Right, right or indirectly. And, and, why he, and why he can't currently move against mm-hmm. Grindelwald. We've always been like, because of the blood pack, but when did that come into existence? Is that just for this movie? And I mean, it still is, but if it's been around for a while, I think that makes it more compelling. Mm. And I, I do think it's important, though, that the portrait of Ariana is the same one that we see in Deathly Hallows. I think from a connection standpoint, it would be weird for us to go back in time at the Hogshead and for Ariana to look any different than she did in Deathly Hallows. That's a good point. Well, that is another Mm -hmm. question. It's like, if we're going to see Ariana, well, I guess we could see a older version of her or younger version of her in an actual flashback because like, they can't recast that actor we saw 10 years ago in the portrait and now in this upcoming movie. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, unless she's just amazing things you really can do well. with CG. Well, that too. That's true. Yeah. Let's see what well, they're they, doing over at Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. Well, they kept, um, they kept the young Grindelwald actor and the young Albus actor. Uh, the actors that portrayed those roles in the mirror of air setting crimes of Grindelwald were the ones who played those young characters in deathly hallows. Um, so that's a nice little tidbit of consistency. Uh, that the films have seemingly made effort to keep. All right. Well, let's get to a couple voicemails from our listeners. This first one actually concerns Ariana. So this is a perfect transition. Hi, Muckle Casters. My name is Katie and I'm a Ravenclaw. I wanted to offer something that may or may not be a hot take regarding Ariana's death. I know there's a bunch of theories about whether or not we're going to get a flashback to find out what really happened when she died, but I don't want it. I want a chaotic scene that could have a bunch of different conclusions be possible. I don't want to know if the spell that Albus cast is what killed her or Aberforth did something or Grindelwald did something or if it was her having a mental breakdown because of Albus and Aberforth fighting or or something else. I don't want it. I want to not know. I think there's beauty in the suffering that Albus feels or, or goes through because he doesn't know. I think that's part of what drives him as a character. Is it him that did it? Is it the man that he loved that he brought into his family? Is it the turmoil of the relationship with his brother that he should have cared more about? Like I, I love the beauty of that suffering and I don't want to lose that because somebody decided what actually happened. I want it to be inconclusive. Anyway, would love to hear your thoughts on this. Love the show and keep it up. I agree with this. It was something that I really liked about the books that as readers and Dumbledore as a character never knew. It's something that really gives an additional layer of complexity to his character and explains his motivations and his insecurities that stem from not knowing. But what I love about this blood pact theory that Pam brought to all of our attention is that I think if that ends up being the case, it could still be ambiguous. Like if they're fighting each other, they're both going against the blood pact and that could result in a spell rebounding. Like that could be the cause of a spell rebounding and hitting Ariana. And we could still not know who the spell originated with. So 
I like where this is going. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. This is actually one of the first things about Fantastic Beasts that has had <laughs> me excited in a little while, to be completely honest. Mm. So I'm hopeful that that's the direction it moves in. It is so much more tragic. Yeah. You know, when Katie first started sharing her thoughts, I I did go, <gasps> because I was like, wait, how, why? But that explanation was really sound, and I do like the idea of an ongoing mystery being there. Certainly good for podcasts like this, where we can continue <laughs> to discuss instead of having firm answers. And maybe they will, like Katie was sort of saying, kind of lead us down uh, multiple paths, different options that could still be true. We just won't know ultimately which one is true. And I mean, that's that's war, right? That's that's a unexpected fight like this. Certain mm-hmm. things occur, but nobody really remembers exactly what happened. And each person's going to have a different story, their side of the story. And at the center is is somebody who tragically lost their life way too early. So, so yeah, I do agree that they should ultimately keep it ambiguous. It's still Dumbledore's fault for having this blood pact. It's still Grindelwald's fault for fighting him. But I do think it's important that nobody knows exactly who did it. Like, it could have been Aberforth. Who knows? Yeah. I still do think, though, that we need a flashback scene. I I, I like what Katie's saying in, in the ambiguity aspect of it, because I think that that will just make it that much more uh, appealing, as you guys were saying. But I feel like if this film in particular fails to deliver on an Ariana flashback scene, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed. Or the franchise in general, like if they never go there and it's just Dumbledore's account of the story, I don't, I don't feel like that will appease the Potter fans. What flashbacks from the Harry Potter series have you liked enough to be like, yes, I want them to do flashbacks correctly. (laughs) I have to ask this question every episode. I enjoyed the Tom Riddle orphanage stuff. I thought that was fine. But Dumbledore doesn't even get Mrs. Cole drunk, which was awesome. in the books <laughs> i thought the the flashbacks at the gaunt house were so good in the books and the fact that they were left out of the film so i, I get where you're going here eric <laughs> there's no way to do them justice correctly so they shouldn't include them yeah david yates isn't a fan of flashbacks apparently okay we have one more voicemail then we'll get to some really good emails this is from monet this is Monet calling from Toronto. I just watched the new, what is it, Secrets of Dumbledore trailer that came out. And I also read the accompanying article from wizardingworld.com. And I remember hearing you guys mention a couple of times how weird it is that like an official source of the Wizarding World is acting like a fan site because this is the worst <laughs> article. I mean, it's not that bad, but it's like a very funny article because they're breaking it down one by one. And they're like, for example, oh no, Theseus is in trouble. Some horrible giant creature has grabbed hold of Theseus. We do hope Newt manages to rescue him, but it does mean that until the film is released, we will be constantly worrying about his fate. And they ask all of these questions, like, is this meeting even real? What is it? They're pointing things out. They tell us how to spell lolly, which I didn't know. It was L-A-L-L-Y. Lots of different things. And I just, it's very interesting um, there's even a bit in here where they are like, how far can we really trust Rita? And it's just funny to hear the speculation from like the official source. <laughs> Anyways, it's the weirdest article ever, and I thought I'd mention it. I'm really looking forward to the recording tonight. Uh, thank you so much for all of you do. 
all that you do. Bye. Thanks, Monet. That's really funny. I mean, that right at the funny. top of the site in the menu bar, it says Wizarding World, the official home of Harry Potter. And she's right. They're, they have to walk this line between like fan site and official resource. And it comes off odd sometimes when they're speculating. It's like, yo, you're the official source. You're the one with all the answers. At least you should have How all of them. How trustworthy is Rita? You tell us. You, yeah. you tell us. That's Should particularly even... embarrassing yeah. because, like, Rita Skeeter's in the past. It's not like she has a role coming up. You know what I mean? It's like... That's true, too. Yeah. Just say Rita's unreliable. <laughs> so I can't imagine that this was intentional, but hearing uh, Monet narrate what was in that article, it gave me, like old-timey movie vibes where there would be a narrator saying things like, what will happen next time in Fantastic (laughs) Beasts? You know, like, that's the vibe that I get off of it. Can Rita be trusted? Yeah, and there's no way it was intentional, which makes it worse. (laughs) Yeah. Is Lavender Brown dead? Find out next time on The Secrets (laughs) of Dumbledore. I I guess until the movie comes out, we'll be worried. (laughs) Yeah, I can't be able to to sleep. (laughs) I won't be able to sleep at night. Oh, my goodness. So I've been (laughs) taking my sleeping pills. I just that's all I'm thinking about. I appreciate that Monet wrote in to show us that it's still ridiculous over there. That that is is, really funny. funny. Yeah. (laughs) Is Lavender Brown white? Find out next time. Mike, you just put that in the chat. I just stole it from him. I was just recalling your recent episode. I know. Yeah, we we spoke about that. Okay, so we have some emails now. Last week, we hinted about this theory, Tina being Bunty. Somebody want to read this one? This comes from James slash Super Carlin Brothers. He got it from the Super Carlin Brothers, or they inspired him oh, to write in. Oh, okay. Got it. Got you. The lack of Tina in the promo material has to mean that her role is a major spoiler, especially since she's listed in the credits ahead of the other characters who we do have posters and footage of. In this new trailer, Bunty says to Newt, no one can know everything, not even you. Now, of course, it could be that I was already a fan of this theory, and that line helps fit the narrative along with Dumbledore's line, things are not quite what they appear. Now, that can have so many meanings. For one, it's said over an image of the phoenix, which seems to imply the phoenix Credence has isn't really a phoenix, but it could also relate to Jacob's wand as well as Bunty's actual role, again, confirmation bias, or any host of things. It truly is a line that could be applied to just about any theory, so I'm not staking my entire theory on that. Tina has incredibly high stakes in this considering her sister and Credence are both on the other side, so she would be a huge target for Grindelwald. What better way to get her close to both Queenie and Credence than to disguise her as Newt's, no offense, Bunty, fairly unimportant assistant? (laughs) Yeah, I've seen this theory quite a bit um and it you know would explain a lot yeah how do y'all feel about it i I think i said this on last week's episode that every fantastic beast movie needs a good polyjuice subplot Mm. and i'm kind of tired of it (laughs) It i hate it it was old when they did it with graves and grindelwald in the first movie got even older in Crimes of Grindelwald, and now they're potentially doing it again in Secrets of Dumbledore. 
it's just honestly if this is the case it's more bad writing absolutely 100 percent. and to me it represents a unique way of robbing yet another female character in this series of their agency because bunty it will then turn out was not bunty this whole time uh where's the real bunty i don't know but she doesn't get the screen time that we thought was bunty's screen time to have i'm just like wow how many ways are they going to invent to just sideline different characters it's it's shocking am i making sense here yeah it also raises a question for me remember in crimes of grindelwald in the newspaper article that had the picture of newt theseus lita and bunty for some odd reason that's in the past there's like no reason for you know bunty to have been a polyjuiced person at this point in the series so it felt kind of like you know a plot device it felt like you know a red herring you know something was going to come of bunty the character that we knew as Bunty. And if they do this with Tina, I feel like it leaves all of these little sprinklings of Bunty references and brief appearances from the second movie that just don't make any sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, all we know about her is she has a crush on her boss, um, but she's competent. Her boss hired her to look after the beast. She's good at it. She takes direction well. She wants there to be more. Newt is ambiguous. But then to take that character and say the very next film, we see her a lot and we get a lot of character development that it later turns out was not actually her or her character development. It's just another way to throw to the audience for this crazy, confusing loop. And like Micah said, like this whole transformation of characters and other characters is very old. And and it's also... A bit weird, Laura, kind of going off what you said, that you have the woman who Newt really cares about transforming into the woman who is pining after Newt. Yeah. Like, what's going on here? Well, if my theory is true, we can't have two women pining after Newt in the story. They must be interchangeable. So what becomes of real Bunty then? It just is so confusing to me why this feels necessary for anybody to write this kind of a story, if it's true. Yeah, Yeah. I hope not. I'm willing to bet it's not. I think Bunty's role, getting back to what Newt said in this Japanese trailer, she's taking care of the beasts on the road or helping capture them on the road or deciding which ones to use to complete some mission. I think her role in this core six or whatever you want to call it, the... um, the, the Clovis core six, <laughs> the, the Clovis core, just the Clovis core is, yeah, just to just to help out with the beast angle. Facilitate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah she's, make, she's the glue that's making it all possible. I think I had said this in our, our one of our Slack conversations, but I see Bunty in a very similar light to Mrs. Fig. She's the person that Dumbledore has placed in a position to monitor the actions of the main character. For Dumbledore. For Dumbledore, yeah. That makes sense. Very interesting, though. Except Bunty can do magic. Did we find out? I can't remember. In Crimes of Grindelwald, did we find out how Newt and Bunty came to be acquainted? No. Um, Because that, I guess that might have come up at the book signing, maybe, because she was definitely present there, but all those scenes were cut. I mean, if she was a developed character, maybe we would know. Right. (laughs) If she were more than... (laughs) Two lines in a in a coat. Yeah. 
We also got some feedback about the Dumbledore Grindelwald scene where they're in a orb. A lot of people had thoughts on this. First of all, from Timothy, he said, Grindelwald and Albus's conversation at what looks like a diner in the new trailer is definitely meant to recall the famous scene in Michael Mann's masterpiece, Heat, 1995, in which Vincent Hanna and Neil McCauley sit down for a civil meeting in the midst of their antagonism. Yates and all want to borrow some of the monumental magic of the first time Robert De Niro and Al Pacino shared the screen. It's promising to see some cinematic intention in the small moments. <laughs> Interesting. I never would have... Caught that. I haven't seen Heat. So thank you, Timothy. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if only we had some storytelling well, potential. Well, yeah. One step forward. <laughs> Baby steps. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. We got a couple good theories. This is from Megan. Listening to your latest episode, I was curious if you think the scene between Grindelwald and Dumbledore dueling could be a vi- vision of the future of the final battle yet to come. The description of the scene being orb-like gave me this thought. I loved this observation because we spend so much time talking about whether it's these trailers or other Harry Potter stuff about, you know, the memories, the memories. We didn't think we didn't stop to think maybe this is a look at the future. That might explain a lot, actually. An orb, you know, like almost like a prediction. And we've we've spoken about, well, what if what if this is the last movie? Or what if they go from five movies down to four? So there's just one I more movie. I don't want to see a Trelawney pop up in this movie. Well, no, but maybe they don't have to do a flash forward. Maybe they don't have to get to the final battle because we're seeing it right here. They also did that in in Crimes of Grindelwald towards the end with the smoke, right? Well, Grindelwald, yeah, because yeah, Grindelwald yeah. can see the future. Grindelwald sees and knows at least a bit about what's to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that's kind of a a character trait that I often forget about him. Yeah, um, me too. He's kind of a. A seer, he, but clearly yeah. with he some like um, some blank spots, right? Or else he wouldn't be foolish enough to to try if he knew he was going to yeah. fail. Well, like in the second film, he used that hookah device, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, to really, but but that was like to display it to everybody, too. It's interesting you said orbs too, because there's this scene with I think it's Theseus and Eulalie where they're fighting a bunch of Grindelwald followers, and like they throw a bunch of orbs at them. It's just like this, I don't know, not saying I, it has anything to do with it. I had to go back and rewatch that because for a minute I thought they were all prophecies and I was like, oh no, not again. And then I realized they were crystal balls. I was like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> we're good. Hey, you know, we didn't get the Department of Mysteries payoff answers uh, in the first series. So maybe they'll go back to it this time and start answering some of those questions. Yeah. Will that explain how they're literally able to place a person in a wall as a painting? <laughs> like that. Uh, well, cool effect. So I have to tell y'all, I... So I showed Mark the trailer and he was like, wait, now there's a whole other dimension in this world. Like, is it the same world that the portraits, like the paintings live in? Like, I asked that. You know, yeah. and it's like, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to explain it. Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> to well, be honest. It's Probably in the second not. movie. Grimson does it too. Yeah. Well, in a different form of it. He was in the wall. I thought he this was like camouflaging like on himself. The wall. Yeah. It yeah, seemed I to think... me like another half universe. Like he was only half there. I don't know. I think everybody's overthinking this. He's just going to be like up in the wall, like a, like a painting. I think it's cool. I don't mind it. One more point on the Dumbledore Grindelwald thing. We got this email from Emily. The orb thing around Dumbledore and Grindelwald could be Priori and Contatum. In Contatum. 
crackpot theory, but what if they're trying to see who killed Ariana? Ooh, probably have to go mm. super far back, but shrug emoji. Yeah, there's so, a lot of dead people to come out of those wands. Um, <laughs> this is interesting, though, because it would suggest that the two wands can't move against each other, right? Isn't that what we see when it happens in the graveyard? And I'm wondering, at this point, it is Grindelwald who has the Elder Wand, correct? Mm -hmm. But if in some way Dumbledore becomes its master, the wand wouldn't be able to move against Dumbledore. Correct? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I just think it's a big bubble to protect everybody else around them from the bleep that's about to go down inside of it. I think that's probably right. But it does bring up an interesting point with like wand ownership and and with the pensive too. The pensive's magic is specifically so you can revisit with new perspective anything from your memory. So there should be a way for Dumbledore to have taken that memory out, put it in the pensive, and then been able to see, really see whose spell hit Ariana. So my thoughts on Priori and Cantatum are kind of twofold. One, we have to remember that in the books, it's established that that happens because Harry and Voldemort's wand cores are brothers, right? So their wands are brothers. Their cores came from the same phoenix. Well, Grindelwald and Dumbledore are more than brothers, according to him in the last film. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that means for what's... You know what? Never mind. I'm not going there. <laughs> For what um, comes out of their wands. Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> um, but I will say that the films have a history of getting Priori and Cantatum wrong. Um, basically, after the point where they show it in Goblet of Fire, they use the same effect every single time two people yeah. are dueling. So I don't know. Maybe they're going to update what Priori and Cantata means. Maybe we're going to learn that there are other criteria that cause that to happen that doesn't just have to do what's with what's the core of your wand. Um, but I don't know. I I don't know. I think it's probably likely that it's either intended to, to Micah's point, to protect the people around them, or it's intended to show that it's something you know from the future to kind of put us in that dreamlike state but it's hard to say (laughs) i'll bet my money on the future i think that's what we're seeing there i think that's a really good guess well i like that idea because we talked about too like does it really make sense they're going to be a dumbledore and grindelwald confrontation at the end of this movie at the end of the next movie and then the final final one at the end of the next movie Yeah. yeah To me, the confrontation that you need that we've seen bits of in the trailers is that between Dumbledore and Credence. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think you can double down and have Dumbledore versus Credence and then Dumbledore versus Grindelwald unless this is honestly the last film. That's fair. Okay, this email is from Jerry. I'm a 65-year-old Hufflepuff who started reading Harry Potter when Prisoner of Azkaban came out and who then read everything, followed MuggleNet, The Leaky Cauldron, The Harry Potter Lexicon. MuggleCast is the first podcast I have ever followed, forcing me into a new technology. I have toyed with a few others, but I find this the best, although I don't always agree. Well, thank you, Jerry. And it's good to disagree. It's good. We're introducing some new thoughts. Yeah, we welcome it. Yeah. I just read on MuggleNet about the photo of Tina in Newt's suitcase shown in a Japanese trailer. My theory is we don't know how many years have passed between Crimes of Grindelwald and Secrets of Dumbledore, but I have heard 1930s mentioned. Perhaps enough time for Newt and Tina to marry and for her to become pregnant? 
Perhaps she is being kept in hiding somewhere to keep her and the unborn child safe. I don't hate it. No, uh, I mean, that would certainly explain her not having much of a role in the movie if that ends up being the case. But mm-hmm. is could that also be an excuse to write her out of future films, too? Because, like, if she's not you know, pregnant with the kid, she's still got to raise the kid. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just I would think that Newt and Tina would choose to both be present when they could maybe wait until the war is over to start a family. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how much like their relationship has even been established at this point to then take it to the next level. Uh, it just, even with the time having passed, I mean, it, that just seems like such a cop out to, to have them married mm. or to have her pregnant. And we've never really gotten too much of an establishment of their relationship at all. That's uh, fair. But it's possible. I mean, we're also entering into the world war two era um she has a jewish last name could be pregnant um that is not a good situation for her to be in um over in europe yeah i think it also depends on how many more of these movies we have left that is you know really going to dictate how much establishing time we get for these you know character storylines outside of the war All right. And to wrap up our feedback on the trailer, we got an email from Ravi who said, Dear MuggleCast, I've been listening to your show since, sorry, I've been listening to your show since 2006. Like many of your fans, the show has brought me so much joy over the years, especially during difficult, stressful times in my life. Thank you so much for all that you've done for the fandom. A question about the storytelling perspective in Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. As you've alluded to in several previous discussions, I think the Fantastic Beasts series suffers a bit from discordant writing and complicated plots. Beyond this, though, I feel another problem lies with the story's perspective. One of the biggest appeals of the core Harry Potter series isn't just the magic, but rather the perspective of small, ordinary children who happen to be caught up in epic struggles between good and evil. The original trio are relatable and quickly find their way into our hearts. Harry, in particular, is a deeply endearing character because he is an orphan and bereft of parental love, a literary device and hero archetype that's actually quite popular in children's novels. We can connect with his feelings of insecurity, and we want to see him overcome all odds. I feel this charm is crucially missing in Fantastic Beasts. What do you think? Do you think the new series might be a little more appealing if told from a perspective different from larger-than-life characters like Dumbledore or Newt. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks again. Love the show and keep up the wonderful work. I love this message from Ravi. I don't agree that Newt is a larger-than-life character. I think the problem is that the film does not spend time on him as, as the central character. It's trying to do so much with all of these other characters that we we don't have time. Like Newt is an endearing character. Newt is insecure. Newt is uncertain. He's also in other aspects, extremely competent and that's exciting, but it's not, it wouldn't be alienating if the film itself had decided to tell the story from his perspective, but Newt has had the rug pulled out from under him because his own series is now a Dumbledore Grindelwald series. And there's all these other adults that each have to have their story be told at the same time. Yeah. Like Yusuf. So I think the issue is that, yes, it is It is absolutely a, a point of view perspective thing, but I don't think the error is choosing Newt as your hero. I think the error is in wandering away from any one hero. I think 
Robbie's point about, you know, Harry Potter is from the perspective of small, ordinary children who happen to be caught up in epic struggles. This is Jacob's purpose. He's the muggle. He's the new wizard, so to speak, being thrust into this world that he had never heard of before. He's that young, whimsic perspective that we're missing from Harry Potter. Is it an apples to apples comparison? Does it work as well as Harry himself? No, but I think that's what they're going for with Jacob. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, who sent in feedback about the trailer. I'm sure there will be more to come. There are a couple other things we wanted to get to today. First of all, these came out a few weeks ago, but WB released 18, 18 character posters for various characters in Secrets of Dumbledore. And they broke them into three sections. There were the good guys, the bad guys, and then the international wizards. And I thought it was... Well, I guess first, uh, Pickett and A. Niffler got their own character posters, and we found out the Niffler's name is Micah. It's Micah. Micah. No, no. <laughs> no, it's Teddy. <laughs> Teddy. Like Teddy Bear? Or they Teddy re- Lupin. They really reached there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it, right? Like a teddy bear is cute and cuddly. That's kind of what a Niffler is like. Yeah. Except it could probably claw your face off. But so can a bear. <laughs> there was uh, no Tina poster, surprising absolutely nobody. Uh, but I did find it interesting when they were rolling out these posters the day before the trailer or the week before the trailer, because the trailer got delayed. They called the good guys Dumbledore's first army. And so what jumps to mind there? Dumbledore's army or Order of the Phoenix? And I thought when I saw this in the social media copy i was like oh they're gonna talk about the og order of the phoenix in the trailer that didn't come to pass so right i don't know do, do we think this is the og order of the phoenix probably at least Laley hicks maybe at part least of it yeah yeah because remember the the book that nicholas flamel had right and Laley was in it. on it yeah so i think that's it i also I'm so tired of this very obvious fan service attempt. Dumbledore's first army. It's like, okay, we get it. You want people to think about Harry Potter. Do we need this? It's just, it is blurring the lines a little bit too, in a, in a confusing way, because I have to remind myself that Dumbledore's army was what Harry called the study group and not, in fact, what the Order of the Phoenix was called. It's just the mental equation that I have to do every time to be like, if they're calling it Dumbledore's first army, they're actually talking about the Order of the Phoenix yeah, and not Dumbledore's army. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore's army and, had nothing to do with Dumbledore. What? Yeah. What are the odds that Harry randomly comes up with Dumbledore's army? <laughs> However many years later oh, that it clever, is. clever boy. Always been so well, clever. I don't think <laughs> I don't think they're going to refer to it as Dumbledore's army in these movies. I think it's just. No. It's, it's just the marketing. The, the promo. Yeah. It's the marketing yeah. and it's all wrong. It's another it's, wink towards yeah. Harry Potter. Well, Just like, like the some... room that is required. I mean, they did that. <laughs> it's kind of like well, if somebody ever saw it, just the movies didn't read any of the books and then was tasked with advertising in the world of Harry Potter. It's like kind of makes these kinds of weird references that don't mm-hmm. work. So, I mean, you know, just a social media post. <laughs> so... Yeah. We'll see what actually happens. I mean, yeah, I, that their just own official website is questioning what will happen. What is, this? <laughs> <laughs> is this the original Dumbledore's army? Wow, <laughs> Harry was so clever. And they have a mascot 
or multiple mascots. They have a bow truckle and a niffler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the poster for Credence uh, called him Credence and not Aurelius, which I thought oh. was kind of funny. <laughs> That's a missed opportunity. We learned that Grind- Grindelwald can be trusted. We learned that he's, in fact, Aurelius yeah. Dumbledore. They should really lean into this. Yeah, exactly. Lean into that. I mean, that was the cliffhanger of the last movie. And then on the official social media accounts, it just says Ezra Miller is Credence. Well, wait a second. Call Morelius. Get us talking. That would get us talking. I wonder how they're going to refer to him as like in the movie, though. Is it just going to be half the people calling him Credence and then half the people calling him Aurelius? Because that's going to get really confusing. Yeah, well, Grindelwald still insists on calling him (laughs) Aurelius. Exactly. And everybody's like, dude, that ship sailed. Stop calling him. (laughs) I know you were lying. I know who I am. It's cool. Trying to make Aurelius happen. It's never going to happen. That's not my name. Don't call me that. I want to know who I am. (laughs) That's not my name. Um, I really wonder if this means that they're going to nip that in the bud in like the first 10 minutes of the movie. It's going to be like Jacob's memory. They they take yeah. care of it really quick and forget that it ever happened. Uh, like now we need to get that cliffhanger thing out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Before before you jump off the posters, I mean the third thread is probably the most interesting of all of them. Oh, sorry. Be- yeah, I forgot. Because we get a look at some of the new characters as if we needed any more mm. uh, in this series. Um, I, we've talked about two of them, but one I don't think we've ever mentioned is Oliver Masucci as Anton Vogel. He actually looks a bit like Mads Mikkelsen. And actually, when I looked yeah. at this poster, I thought it was Grindelwald, <laughs> to be honest with you, but it's Maybe not. Maybe it was his body double. And they're like, oh, we need somebody for this real quick. Hey, Oliver, get over here. So are we to assume that these are allegiances that could potentially be won by either side? since they're not necessarily like aligned. It. And I know we've talked about the International Confederation of Wizards. The copy for this thread says a new power is waiting to rise against Dumbledore and the Wizarding World. So these people aren't, like you're saying, on Team Dumbledore or Grindelwald. They need to be swayed, mm. which surprised me because now there's this whole other angle to this story it's not just about Dumbledore versus Grindelwald it's Dumbledore versus Grindelwald versus these people in the middle who don't know which side to go on but also what's refreshing they're rising against Dumbledore and the wizarding world I I take that to mean they don't know which way's better Dumbledore's path or Grindelwald oh I assumed it was just Grindelwald (sighs) that was rising against Dumbledore and the wizarding world okay one thing that I'm remembering too is Mm -hmm. remember back to when uh, some information kind of leaked out on the film and we got locations. I think it was from an initial, was it like a Spanish site that had reported on it? I think that's right. And they, because I'm just looking through at some of these names, like Vogel could tie to Germany, you know, uh, Vincencia Santos to Brazil. I think we actually see like the colors of Brazil at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lutao could be Bhutan uh, or China, um, depending on you know, whether or not those locations are in fact true. I like that these characters have a poster. Hopefully they have bigger roles than Tina does in this film. Um, And I think too, it's a good opportunity for like some real diversity. I mean, to get the Harry Potter series and the Fantastic Beasts have been really Eurocentric um, this whole time. And to introduce characters that are not in the sphere of Europe or specifically 
I'm thinking of um, government, you know, state officials and things like we saw uh, whoever it was from the ministry that came to talk to Dumbledore in the, in the first film. And we see, or the second film, and we see um, all of these, you know, ministry types and the Makuza types, but in this film to get like an actual picture of a wider world and see other heads of state that are from outside of Europe um, could be a good, you know, mark for diversity and also just, taking the plot somewhere it hasn't been before in Harry Potter or in previous Beast yeah. movies. And it's clear yeah, from the second thread, Eric, that your your boy Helmet is in fact Team Grindelwald. Oh, I oh he's, I'm a, ashamed he's an Abernathy see, replacement. Oh that's really what he is. I'm ashamed <laughs> to see him part of the bad guys. I hope he it's, can change. Well wait, where is Yusuf? Because we speculated that Yusuf would he's change that in the Good side. He's with heroes. Okay, yeah. so my theory, uh, a propos of nothing, is that Helmet will switch to the good side. Um, he also looks a lot like Rupert Grint in that shot. Um, but uh, and then Yusuf will swap and be the new uh, Abernathy. I just have a question: Are we saying that name correctly? Should Helmut? it be Helmut? I'm wondering because I I just wonder if we're calling this guy Helmet. <laughs> I probably should be calling him Helmet. <laughs> Chloe says yes, Helmut, Helmut, Helmut. Helmut. Excuse me, the Helmut. I pronunciation. Just, Apologies to everyone. No, it's fine. It's every time we say it, I just imagine like one of those bulky plastic bicycle helmets that we all wore when we were kids. <laughs> That's all I can think of. And he's the chauffeur, <laughs> Eric. He is the chauffeur for oh. Grindelwald. <laughs> One more thing I wanted to bring up today. We found a, we found out a little more about the secrets of Dumbledore screenplay. We all remember that the first two films screenplays were released as books, just like The Cursed Child. But here's something different. The secrets of Dumbledore screenplay is going to be released July 19th. That's three months after the movie. What's interesting about this is that the screenplays for the first two movies came out day and date with the movies. So I... I didn't really have a thought on this, but then yesterday I was like, wait a second, maybe they're delaying the release to make people go see the movie because you could just buy yeah. the book instead. It's disgusting. The ebook leaks. <laughs> this is awful. This is a really bad, like there's, there's blindness. There's turning a blind eye to like the fact that asking people to go to theaters to see a movie is still pretty risky. Um, hmm. COVID wise. Yep. yep. But now removing basically any other alternative that people might have to experiencing the story of this film feels insidious. I would also add that it, it'll give the story a second wind to wait as mm -hmm. well. And um, it's, this is a bit more like inside baseball, but you know, the, the theatrical exclusivity window is about 45 days now or a little bit more between like 40 and yeah. 60, which would be about the same time that this would come out. So it's a really nice tie in for WB to be like the script is out. And also you can come and sign up for HBO Max and stream Secrets mm. of Dumbledore. Well, on there. And with the book coming out three months. So the movie will come out, what, April, mid-April. I think, Pam, you mentioned the exclusive exclusivity window is shorter now i believe for wb it's 45 days so it's going to be like three waves it's going to be the movie in theaters the movies on hbo max and now the movies in screenplay format so that's three separate moments where they can really promote the new story maybe this time it'll have deleted scenes too 
Let's hope so. That's yeah, what we wanted out of these screenplay books. I know, I know. Originally. I just really want subtitles, no matter what, whether it's a written written format of what they're saying or subtitles on a streaming platform because they mumble. Everybody mumbles. I don't understand what they're saying. So I'm yeah. sad that I have to Dude wait. Mumbles. <laughs> what? Dumbledore Dude. mumbles. I couldn't figure out what he said in it's this Mumbledore. international trailer. Mumbledore. Mumbledore. <laughs> What's funny about this is actually on... I don't know if we should call it our sister podcast, Millennial. There was a time where Pam actually brought a story to the show about this. Why is everyone mumbling in movies now? Um, and it it was a really interesting conversation. And, you know, I would encourage folks to look that up if you're interested in hearing more about it. You know, definitely make sure that you're now you're you're age appropriate to listen to the show. It is a show intended for adults, but it is a very deliberate choice. Is that correct, Pam? Depending on um, the movie, yeah, it is. So sometimes it's just that they prioritize everything but sound in terms of a budget. But oftentimes with, oh. when cer- with certain directors, it's actually encouraged because they want you to feel like you're leaning into a conversation. Um, and then also it's becoming a trend in terms of actor choice as well. So often it is direction and often it is a choice. Is there a specific episode and number that, for millennial? I'm definitely going to check. Yeah, this we'll out. link it in the show notes. I know one of the other points, too, was that sometimes directors want to do these wider shots. Yeah. So they can't get the mic as close as they uh, would norm- the sound people would want to. Mm-hmm. And then another angle was that like a director and an editor will listen to a movie so many times they know every single word they got to commit it to so memory become... but then we the viewers are seeing it for the first time we don't know what the script said we weren't there for the shoot right. so it's it's harder as an audio yeah. editor i get that too yeah. that whole that. leaning in you want people like pretty soon they're going to release movies out of focus so people have to squint harder yeah christopher <laughs> nolan is like notorious for doing this too by the way well the um, batman because, movies exactly I can't yeah and he does this on purpose because he wants the audio to be authentic to the moment so you're supposed to feel like you're there and not sitting in a the theater but it's not really effective in terms of making sure your audience is keeping up so unless a character is going sorry what i I can't understand right, you. Exactly. Then it's not me represented. It's on very film. like pompous kind of. But yeah. And Eric, for reference, it is uh, season seven, episode 47. Why movie dialogue is hard to hear. I will say, though, the one thing that I did like about having those screenplays is that it allowed us to get much more clarity and detail in certain scenes, putting the dialogue Definitely. completely aside. Like There were things that were in those books that provided far more context than what we were able to get when we were watching the movie. So it's a little disappointing when I have to wait a while, but at the same time, you can't really get spoiled, which is something the books could potentially do. Mm -hmm. Though I guess early moviegoers could spoil it as well, but we'll talk about it whenever it's released. We'll also talk about the movie when it's released on HBO max, because we'll be able to hit pause and squint and, and look at things we may have missed the first time when we didn't have that pause button in the movie theater. So that is our discussion for today's episode. Pam, thanks so much for joining us. It was great having you on. Do you want to plug uh, your Twitter account too, or your Instagram? Sure. Um, I'm at Pamela Kokobachi everywhere. Have fun spelling that. And you can obviously listen to me every week with Andrew and Laura over at Millennial as well. 
G-O-C-O-B-A-C-H-I. I mean, we'll have links in the show notes. <laughs> I wanted to share. It's not It's not like I haven't known you for like 10, 15 years. I, <laughs> um, I wanted to share that because Pam's also a pop culture junkie. So if you're up on pop culture, or into pop culture in general, she's definitely a good one to follow. She's tweeting her thoughts on various pop culture elements. And yeah, like she said, uh, we're also doing Millennial Podcast every Wednesday. There's a new episode released and we're talking about news and life and pop culture and politics. And, uh, you know, just getting through life as a millennial. We've had Michael on a few times. We are pledging this year to have Eric on. The difference, though, Eric, is that Micah asks me like every four months, hey, can I be on the show? Yeah. Eric, you just need to bug me. I've been playing coy. I've been like, oh, when the time is right, I will (laughs) have my. I'll I'll be more more up in your DMs, I promise. Micah's going to be so jealous on that episode. A request for the last episode I was on. Just saying, Chloe can back me up here. Oh, well, okay. Well, that was a special situation. (laughs) We wanted your perspective as a Jewish person. (laughs) Which I cannot offer. (laughs) Uh, Andrew, so later this month? What? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, here's what I'm vowing. Mike is not coming on again until Eric's on. That's that's my promise. Bring us on together. <laughs> that's a cheating way to have me on. Yeah, let yeah. Eric have yeah, his. We want Eric we'll to have his Eric moment. Right after oh, let's just do it right now. All right. All right. Yeah, all right. Everybody's here. Let's just do it. I'm I'll do it. Hey. Eric needs to have his moment. Let Eric have his moment. Put my Chipotle in the fridge. We're going long. So if you have Chipotle <laughs> waiting, we should definitely end this right now. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> We actually recorded next week's episode a couple of weeks ago, just so everybody knows. It was before we knew that the trailer was about to come out, that they were about to drop two trailers and 18 plus posters. <laughs> uh, so we have this discussion ready to go about Newt. We're looking at where uh, he was in Crimes of Grindelwald. And we, we also looked at it through the lens of his relationships in the Crimes of Grindelwald. Right, Eric? That's right. Yeah, it's uh, another uh, engaging way to look at the character and might actually wrap up our Crimes of Grindelwald character discussions uh, as being the last ones before we get the uh, next film. So that's been super fun to kind of go back and revisit. I know we did Dumbledore and the core four, and now that ends with Newt. We're just about a month away from the movie's release. Can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah, the UK is getting it a, a week earlier, April 9th, I believe. Something like that, and then have we? <laughs> how how do they expect people know. not to get spoiled? Everyone's going to be worm taily. Yeah, it's okay. They're gonna <laughs> hand, they're gonna hand out buttons at the movie, going hashtag keep the secrets. Keep keep them keep them. Oh, yeah, Pam, I got to bust a, out. Did you get any buttons when you went to San Francisco? I did yeah, actually. Christian. I have I actually have them right here on my desk. Wait, they're keep the secrets buttons? No, no, they just say like San Francisco opening night, but they. I mean, they're cute. This is like the Hufflepuff one. Oh. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Nice. All right. Because nice. if they were still keep the secrets buttons. Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> do not be surprised if they, they do keep the secrets buttons for this new movie. Because remember, they did those buttons right. for Crimes of Grindelwald. Eric and I saw it together in Chicago and we went to an IMAX showing or something. Yeah, we got those pins. You're right. Yeah, I, I have them somewhere. <laughs> you know, what, can't you get a pin in Orlando? I, or is that done now with Wizarding That's only World if you're Gold. Wizarding World Gold. I Oh, I was. Which is like no longer active. <laughs> yeah, I should have. I just reminded me since I was there. 
couple yeah. days ago. All right, everybody. Well, this was fun. If you are new to MuggleCast or maybe you haven't done this yet, make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app. We release a new episode of MuggleCast every Tuesday. And each week here on the show, we're talking about Fantastic Beasts and the rest of the Wizarding World, like Cursed Child and Harry Potter. And we're going back into the Harry Potter books all the time. We're having a lot of fun. We're your Harry Potter friends. Also, follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. Quizage will return next week. <laughs> just one more week to go. We haven't forgotten about it. Our recording schedule is just all over the place right now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Keep the secrets. <laughs> <laughs>